0: This podcast is brought to you by Primary Intelligence, the leader in win-loss analysis, focused on helping businesses uncover the unique story on how each sales rep can win more deals. Hey everyone, and thanks for joining me on another rousing edition of Sales Intelligence Weekly brought to you by Primary Intelligence. I'm Ryan Queller. So, cold calling. Most reps dread it. And it makes sense, right? I mean, it's uncomfortable talking to someone sometimes anyway, that you don't know, uh, that you may not have a prior relationship with, especially when they know that you know you're trying to sell them something, right? And according to Gong, there's like less than 1.5%. It's a 1.48% chance of positive outcome from from a cold call. The odds are stacked against folks that cold call. But what if instead of cold calling, filling you with, dread. Uh, you could find a way for your cold calling to fill your pipeline. Now, that is an interesting prospect, right? So sizing up this topic with me today is Jason Bay, or as his friends call him, J Bay, Chief Prospecting Officer at Blissful Prospecting. J Bay, welcome to the show, my friend.
1: Good to be here. I love that. Instead of filling you with dread, it fills your pipeline. That's a good, uh, that's a good it, little tagline.
0: Yeah, is, right? <laughs> I mean, you, you can, you can have it nickel every time somebody says it, right? But no, it's, uh, <laughs> you know, in dread pipeline. So that's actually going to be the core of our conversation today, right? I mean, I mean, yep. that, that that's the game.
1: Yeah. But, you mentioned, you know, having conversations with strangers and, you know, I used to be really shy, uh, when I was in middle school, high school, we talked before we hit record here around, uh, I played basketball growing up and thank God I played sports. Mm. You know, I was three sport athlete when I was, you know, elementary school, middle school, thank God I played sports. Cause I, it would have been really hard for me to make friends. You know, otherwise I, I literally would. I remember my mom dropping me off for soccer practice as a kindergartner. And as soon as the coach waved at me and said, Hey, Jason, I was so shy and embarrassed. I covered my face up like this just because I was so like, Oh my God, you know, he's paying attention to me. Everyone's like waving to me, the The new person on the team or whatever, you know? And I got into sales by my first job was going door to door selling house painting services. I did that in college, my freshman year. So wow. prior to that sales, I think most people get into sales on accident. I was not your typical, I'm not extroverted, still not extroverted, you know, I never talked in high school, especially college, going as a freshman, living in the dorms by myself and having no friends, that was horrifying for me to have to do that, and I did really well socializing, it's not like I didn't have the ability, I was just so horrified to talk to people that I didn't know, and I had a really big fear of rejection, and I think that a big part of that, we take into how we sell, you know, uh, Michael Port has a really good quote that I, I really like, uh, he wrote a book called, uh, book yourself solid mm-hmm. and he said, business problems are really personal problems in disguise, you know? So I had to, and I'm sure we'll get into this. I had to kind of figure out how to, how to have conversations with people that didn't know who I was and didn't know why I was, you know, in this case, my first job, like I said, in 2008, that was me at their door. You know, so we can definitely dig into that, but yeah, this this certainly did not come naturally uh, to me to me at all.
0: How did you figure it out? I mean, that that's actually very interesting to me, and I'm sure a lot of our listeners fall in the same boat. Unlike me, yeah, you know, I have no shame, right? Uh, I, I I just grew up in a household where nothing was sacred, everything was loud and obnoxious, and maybe I'm a little bit that way as well. And so there's no shame, and I I go headlong into things, I'm cannonball into everything that I do, right? Um, yeah, uh, it's different for my kids and it sounds like it was very different for you. So how did you overcome that? You know, how do you overcome that? That
1: fear? Yeah. Well, I'm very competitive and I think that I got this in sports and my, my mom and dad are both really competitive too. And I, as soon as I got that job, uh, so they came into my, cl- one of my classrooms and just talked about, Hey, run a house painting business over the summer to make some money. Right. And I was like, Hey, I could make $10,000 in a summer doing this. That's way better than stacking wood on a cart at a mill, which is what I did the summer before to make money for school. You know, I don't want to do that again. That freaking sucked. Yeah. So as soon as I realized that, cause I didn't really understand what sales was and mm. when I was interviewed and I got hired, Oh, I'm in a sales position. Now there's a leaderboard. I want to be at the top of that leaderboard. I know that I can be better than other people at this. So I would, you know, go through their kind of sit down trainings. And like, hey, I'm sitting in a room with 40, 50 other people. I'm going to kick everyone's. Can we use profanity on this podcast? I, no? You know, I prefer if we do. So, uh, yes. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I want to kick everyone's ass, dude. You know what I mean? So that for me was a really big driver. That was way bigger than the discomfort that I felt going door to door. So I, uh, he's one of my best friends now, a guy named Barry. He was my sales manager. So he's a couple years older than me at this time, but he's still in college, you know? And he takes me out. And I remember, because he was going to go meet with me, I had to commute two and a half hours home, because that was kind of the thing, you go home over the weekend, right, to run your business. And he meets me out there, and I remember sitting in my car, because like I, I I was there, you know, kind of earlier than he was, I was sitting in my car for 30, 45 minutes, I was like, God, dude, what am I doing right now, this is going to suck, like, I'm probably going to knock on some doors, and I'm going to know these people, it's going to be really embarrassing, and they're going to tell me that they're not interested in all this other stuff. And what he showed me was a really important lesson. That's so important for cold calling B2B too. He's like, dude, we're just going to have conversations with these people. There's no pressure. Let's just, let's just talk to them. That's that's all. Let's just focus on that part. Mm. I was like, oh, that sounds simple enough. And I think for me reframing that, that's what I work with a lot of sales reps with now that experience call reluctance is dude, don't put pressure on yourself to get a meeting because you don't even know if meeting with Brian makes sense. You don't even know that yet. Let's just focus on having a conversation. Don't come in with anything more than that. Mm. Come in prepared, do some research, all that other stuff, but don't come in with the expectation of anything outside of, I'm going to see if this person's willing to engage in a conversation with me and not everyone's going to be, and that's okay. And that transformation for me was really big. And then also when you go door to door. I, I like cold calling to me is easy having gone door to door because I'm like, what, the worst thing that someone could do is hang up on me. They're not going to slam the door in my face or Retin you physically, the door and be yeah, really <laughs> angry at me. Or, you know, I'd walk up to the door and we would try to do it between like, you know, four five six o'clock in the evening. Cause people were home after work. Right? Yeah. Well, guess what? People are also doing at that at time. They're eating dinner. Yeah. And you know how humiliating it is when you walk up and you see someone's window open or they're eating dinner and like, oh, I'm about to interrupt this person, this person's dinner, you know, and you just get used to, hey, all of these things that I think in my head are going to happen. Usually they don't. Maybe one out of a hundred people was rude to me. Mm. And if I just acknowledged, hey, I saw that you're eating dinner right now. I'll make this quick. I was coming by because I noticed you had some peeling paint in your house. So we are painting some homes in the neighborhood. Are you thinking about getting that done? Can I give you a free estimate? You know, that kind of thing. And I realized that all of the stuff I had in my head around what was going to happen, I mean, that's human nature to catastrophize, you know, and, and make things negative bias, right, is what we have as humans. And mm. I found that with cold calling, it's the same kind of thing. I mean, we have all of these, the negative self-talk, dude, that people have going into a cold call is so bad. It's
0: Oh, it's terrible. And it's right, real.
1: It's, yeah, it's totally real. And and the thing is, is that you can manage your self-talk. It's, it's no different than sports. If I go into a, a basketball game and you know, I can feel it right now what that felt like to, you know, be standing at the hallway of the locker room you know, there's, you know, this gym seated, maybe five or 600 people and everyone's like, cheerily loud. We're about to run out for warmups. You know, if I was thinking at that time, oh God, we're going to get our asses kicked today. And, you know, I'm probably going to, I'm probably going to get called for a bunch of travels and double dribbles and you know, I imagine if I go in for a label, probably get blocked. I couldn't imagine going in with that self-talk. That, that's what people do in sales. Yeah. Oh God, Ryan, he seems so experienced. I mean, he's probably not going to be interested in what I have to say. I mean, they probably already have one of these tools or services in place, right? And, or people, you know, cause I do this too. And I always ask people what they think. Another one I hear too is, oh, he doesn't look very friendly. If they look at the person's LinkedIn profile and they're not smiling in the picture, they're like, oh, he doesn't look very friendly. And it's just not the case. When you call these people, most people, when they pick up the phone, they're not picking it up on purpose, thinking this is a salesperson and I really just want to hear their cold call. But most people are not jerks. They're really not. It's the occasional person that is a jerk. It's more what we do as sales professionals. When we come in, we're creating an environment that's really hard for the prospect to say yes.
0: So I think you're, 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 going headlong into this. I mean, this is beautiful, Jay Bay. So, um, you know, really what you're talking about is reframing. I mean, at the end of the day, it's, it's moving from what helped you get over this fear was moving from the catastrophization, which we are, you know, experts at as human beings, we are just like built for that, right? Uh, We're we're built for fear, which drives action, which usually is run away, right? Fight or flight. But getting out of that psychology and that, that, you know, ancient brain part, getting into the more um, prefrontal cortex part of our brains, reframing, reframing from the catastrophe to the reality, which is, you, you said something like one in 100, one in a 100 people are, are jerks or mean. And on top of that, people are typically nice. And they, they typically do have a problem. And if they have a problem that's relevant to what you're talking about, chances are, you know, you're, you're not bothering them, you could be helping solve something for them
1: yeah and i think about you know just because you're talking to someone on the phone doesn't mean that this image of who that person is and what they look like doesn't pop up in the other person's head you know what i mean so there's some things that you need to apply that you would do in person over the phone
0: Hmm.
1: a couple of them are are so 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 simple okay If I was going to approach you, Ryan in public and say hi, because I, I don't know, for whatever reason, I probably wouldn't do that with a really serious look on my face like this. You'd be like, dude, is this guy like, what I get in? Are you okay? Do I (laughs) I need to protect myself? Um, what's going on here, right? You probably wouldn't approach a person with a really straight look on your face. The other thing that I probably wouldn't do is approach you. And then maybe sit down somewhere and then start talking to you probably wouldn't do that, right? I would probably be standing, you know what I mean? And if I was trying to make a really good first impression on you or someone else, let's say I was, uh, walking by my wife before we met, right. And I wanted to go talk to her. Uh, I might have better posture than I normally have. I might stick my chest out a little bit. I might have a big smile on my face, you know, all of those things. And I call this making an entrance when you mm-hmm. call someone. You would do all of those things. So why don't you do that when you talk to people over the phone? Because for people listening, you can hear a big difference in this and this, this sounds a lot different when I'm talking like this with a huge smile on my face versus when I'm talking like this, Yeah. you can hear the difference. I can see the person's smile, even though I can't see them. I'm working with Vince right now. He's a guy in one of our programs, outbound squad. And I just hammered this with him yesterday. We just did a bunch of reps. I was like, dude, you need to stand up when you're doing this. I want you to like be in the most confident posture that you possibly can. And I want you to smile. And it just completely changed the way he introduced himself. So I think the first thing that you need to think about is how do I make an entrance? And it starts with your mindset and your tonality. And we could talk about what to say, obviously, because that's, that's equally important. But that right there, just showing up and being like, oh, Ryan just seems like a person I would want to talk to. Hmm. That is so underrated. People focus so much on the script versus does this just sound like someone I would want to talk to and shoot the shit with a little bit? You know what I mean? Do they sound like that individual? Because prospects are like sharks. When they smell blood in the water, dude, it's you become really easy when they can sense any kind of hesitation or lack of confidence. You're just really easy to be a jerk to. I'm not gonna feel bad about being really short with you and not giving you the time of day if you seem really unsure of yourself. You know mm. what I mean? So I want to make it really hard for the person to be a jerk to me. I want to make it really hard for them to not want to listen to me, to say no. I want to make it really hard. So
0: what, why? I've heard I heard one reason just right there at the end to make it hard for them to not want to listen to you, right? So the, the, the converse of that, the flip side of that is make it easy for them to want to listen to you. Um, what are some other reasons why, uh, you want to enter, um, well, you know, in addition to that, what else?
1: Yeah. The biggest reason is so anytime I'm training people on cold calling and I'm holding my phone for people that can't see, uh, when someone picks up a phone from an unknown number and they decide to pick it up, think about what's going through their head. Again, let's make the assumption that they probably don't think it's someone that's cold calling them. And they're just so eager to talk to you. That's probably not the reason why they picked up the phone. They probably, they probably thought you were not. someone else. <laughs> yeah, They probably thought you were someone else. And that someone else could be uh, a doctor. could be their kid's school. It could be a coworker. It could be, uh, maybe their car's ready to go pick up and they're waiting to hear back. It could be Grubhub, whatever it is. So the very first thing that I need to do is I need to make sure I don't sound like a telemarketer because those are all the other options. Besides the ones I listed, the other option is a telemarketer. And if you're selling business to business, you're not a telemarketer. You're not, you're not trying to sell stuff to people over the phone. That's the, the big thing I always say is don't prospect to make a sale, prospect to start a conversation. We're not selling while we're prospecting. We're gauging interest, we're peaking interest, we're talking about things that we might be able to help with and setting a meeting to talk about it later. So I want to sound the opposite of a telemarketer. The opposite of a telemarketer is a peer. So I want to sound like a peer, a trusted advisor, someone that really, really knows this person's space, knows their clients, knows their business. And when peers talk to each other, they don't come in and say, hey, Ryan, how's it going today? Uh, hey, hey, Ryan, yeah, I, was, I was just giving you a call because I run a sales training company and I wanted to talk to you about our training programs. That's not how peers talk to each other. That's not a, how a VP of sales, my prospects, that's not how a VP of sales would talk to another VP of sales. So that's the big thing is I want to sound like a peer. And we can talk again, tactically about what to say too, because that, yeah. that's important. Too.
0: And I, and I want to get to that, the tactical part. Yeah. So that makes, that's actually, um, you know, great advice here. And, and I love that. Um, I'm thinking back through my own experiences, having owned and run businesses through, you know, through my career, uh, having, you know, <clears throat> uh, reps come in and try and sell me their, their wares or their, their services and how I've received them and what the difference is. I think mm-hmm. it's, I think you, you, you're hitting spot on where uh, somebody comes in and they feel like they know their business, which is my business, they better be aligned, right? And if they're not, yeah. it, it, it's bad. And on top of that, it's not the the sticky, sweet, you know, you know, super smiley person that I'm really interested in is the person that feels comfortable in their own skin. Right. And yeah. now that's not to say the smile doesn't matter, but uh, you know, you can't just rely on that one thing. Look, I want to come back to this idea of dread, right? Because, you know, let, let's, let's bring the mood down a little bit for the show. Let's, let, let's go, let's go negative here for a second. Um, so, uh, at the top of the hour, at the top of the show, I, I, mentioned that most folks dread cold calling, you know, why, why do you think people, I mean, is, first of all, is that too heavy a word? Um, uh, and second in, you know, why, why do they dread
1: it so much? That's the perfect word I would probably use to describe it. That's Cause it's the word that I hear people use when they right. talk about it. So I think there's a couple things we've already sort of talk through the call reluctance piece. I look at call reluctance, there's kind of two parts to it. One, there's just the anxiety and fear associated with rejection, right? And I think a lot of that has to do with your, with your self-talk and the sort of framework that I walk people through it's, it's called pattern interruption or deconditioning, Mm -hmm. and it's actually a framework that therapists and folks like that use to help people break bad habits, addictions, and that sort of stuff. And the four part framework is, you know, identify the pattern. Pinpoint the trigger, derail and replace, and then practice and reward. So identify the pattern is pretty easy, right? I dread making cold calls. If you pinpoint the trigger, what I want you to do is get super specific. At what point do you experience this? And I gave some examples earlier. A lot of people it's, oh, I'm about to make a call and I see the person's job title. I'm about to make a call and I see their experience on LinkedIn. Whatever that is, I want you to really pinpoint the trigger. And where you can derail and replace is think about the narrative that you tell yourself. Mm. Instead of, this person won't be interested because of this, I always like to like go the positive way. Um, wow, Ryan has so much experience doing XYZ. I really, I really ad- admire this guy. He's got a lot of really great experience. I wonder what I could learn from having a conversation with him about. I wonder if Ryan is dealing with some of the same things that are you know, holding back some of the other VPs of sales that I talk to. I wonder if he might be able to learn from some of those insights, from some of the work that we've done. I think the narrative is really super important that you tell yourself. And then we talked about some of the other physical things that you can do too, which I feel is really underrated. By like having some sort of routine that you go through that kind of primes you. No different than uh, if anyone here lifts weights, there's these things, and I just learned about this. I've been lifting weights for the longest time and didn't know that there's these exercises that you can do that they're called priming. And there are things that you do. It's not stretching it's exercises that you would do. And one of them, if you're going to do a shoulder or a bench press day is you would like lay on your back and put your arms kind of flat with your elbows on the floor and you would like reach up like Mm -hmm. this while you're on your back. And if you do that, you can really feel it work in your shoulders. It's priming your shoulders so that you're getting into your body into this phase where you're going to feel the workout in the right places. And it's warming up those muscles. Why wouldn't you approach? doing cold calling the same way, you know what I mean? Have a routine and that routine should include something around uh, a song that you like to listen to if that's your thing to pump you up because a lot of um, studies they've done around, you know, people get like 10 to 14% more out of a workout when they listen to motivational music. (laughs) It's not because they got stronger all of a sudden, you know what I mean? It's just a total mental thing. Um, You should have some sort of mantra. So in this case. I just shared some of them, like what are some of the positive things I might learn from this conversation versus playing the negative, you know, kind of game. And then I like to do something a little physical. So that could be do five push push-ups real quick, do a couple burpees, take a walk outside for five minutes, whatever it is like, do something that gets you standing up and like active and then be standing up while you make those calls. There's a lot of physiology uh, in there around, you know, power posing is, there's a whole Ted talk on power posing. You know what I mean? And yeah, just the thing the, the, just the standing standing,
0: with your, your hands up. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. Just standing in a confident stance makes you feel very different, you know? Um, so I think there's that side of call reluctance, right? You need to like the kind of mental gymnastics. And the other reason why people dread making cold calls is because they're not good at it. You know, I mean, of course, 1.4%, uh, 8% chance of success. Of course, if you fail 92 plus per, or 98 plus percent of the time, you're going to hate doing that activity. So we got to talk about how you get better. And one of the big things that people are not taught typically is how to, like, I believe you can make a cold call and get a meeting without pitching your product or service. Okay.
0: Tell me more. You don't have
1: to do that. Tell me more. Like, you don't have to do that. The typical way that someone would make a cold call is the, the example I gave earlier. Hey, Ryan, this is Jason with Blissful Prospecting. We do this. Here's our stuff. Are you interested in talking about it later? That's going to have a high rejection rate. I don't care what you sell. I did some work with zoom. You can be zoom. One of the most well-known companies right now and say, I'm so-and-so calling from zoom and I was calling because we do this, this, and that. I want to see like, you can call from a company like that or a Google or Amazon web services, and you're going to have a 95 plus percent rejection rate or higher. It's probably more like 98, 99 when you pitch like that. It doesn't matter what you're selling. You could sell the best stuff in the entire world and that's going to have a high rejection rate. So the transition that you need to make is from me centric to you centric. Okay. So it's not about talk time. It's not about talking less than the prospect. It's a talking about less about yourself than the prospect. So i give you an example of what that, you want to just role play a, like a call I can give you an example of something Let's go. I'm working on. So, um, all right. You could also, if you want to give me a hard time at the beginning, you, you can do that too, or you can just spoon feed it to me, whatever you want to do to make it realistic, dude. Oh, um, I told you so what my nickname
0: guy, was earlier, you know? And so I'm, I'm pretty good at
1: being a jerk uh, yeah. sometimes. I so guess. I'll give you the first part of the call. There's, there's a couple things I'm going to do at play here. One is a permission based opener. So I'm going to gain permission Okay. before I go in and explain the reason for my call. And instead of talking about my product, I'm actually going to talk about you. So, and you may not know much about what these people do, which is not really super important, but. In this case, you would be like a VP of support at a software company. Okay.
0: Software company locked in. Let's go.
1: Yeah. So let's just do the first part. Um, I'll do ring ring and you say hello and we'll go from there. Uh, ring ring. Uh, yeah. Hello. Uh, Hey Ryan, it's, uh, Jason with ABC company. I know I'm calling you out of the blue here. You got a minute for me to tell you why I'm calling and you can let me know if you want to keep chatting. Yeah. Uh, yeah, sure. Appreciate it. Thank you so much, Ryan. Well, the reason I was giving you a call is that I noticed that a lot of your support documentation lives in Salesforce. It looks like you guys have some sort of support community and it looks like you guys actually do a lot through Twitter and that sort of stuff. Did I, did I get that right? Or am I totally off?
0: Yeah, no, that's, that's pretty right. Uh, Twitter and we, we use a couple other social media outlets, but yeah, that's, that's about right. Yeah.
1: Perfect. Okay. So it sounds like I'm, uh, on the ball here. Uh, the reason I was giving you a call actually is I noticed those things. And typically when I talk to support folks like yourself in those situations, they're trying to accomplish one of two things. Uh, one is around case and call deflection. So they're trying to help your customers self-serve more as you grow to reduce the overall cost to serve. So reducing the amount of places they have to look to get help. And the second one's more around your team and agent productivity. So making sure they're able to find relevant answers. And again, not having to dig through multiple resources so they can help customers faster and get their questions answered faster. Does any of that resonate with you or am I like way
0: off here? Uh, no, that, that actually res- resonates really well. Um, we were just having a meeting about, uh, that, that exact thing. So y- yeah, weird Good timing.
1: Yeah. So if I've nailed that part, usually uh-huh. what people will say is, well, okay, so what do you guys do? Yeah. In the prospect to ask me that or they'll be like yeah case and call deflection huge priority for us right now yeah and then i can go into the next part of the call i'm gonna ask questions around that and talk about challenges and all that other sort of stuff but you'll notice that i didn't pitch my product i talked about my product through the lens of a customer
0: through their problem through the issues the that they're facing on a day-to-day basis
1: yeah it's what am i focused on and what is the problem that gets in the way of that
0: mm-hmm. so what you were just talking about jason uh, J
1: bay sorry you
0: said jason during the call because you know that you're being you know professional whatever so it it threw me back in a, but um this is exactly what i was talking about before when i was running a company and i'd have people coming in literally coming into my office to, to pitch me their their wares or their services when their business was not my business i i was not interested in speaking with them but what you yeah. did during that 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 test call that that role-playing was you made your business my business right and, yeah. and made it easy for me to see oh yes this is an issue for me and then opened up the the ability to for me to say yes or no we should continue to, to converse exactly so 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 tell me more you know we, we've already started going down this path I and mean, clearly but you know what are some other things that you should say in addition to making it them centric rather than you centric you know what else should they do what else should cold callers do
1: yeah. So I think just to backtrack a second, if I could yeah, please that language, where do we get that language that I just used? I think that's an important thing to talk about because the way that we got that, I mean, I, I workshop this with the teams that I work with. So we spend time in a controlled setting talking about what the customers say, yeah. but there's some things I did that are super important that I don't want to gloss over. One is everything I just said to you is in the language that you would talk about it. Yes. I didn't use any language that is platform, product related, features related benefits. Like no one gives a shit about that stuff because they don't know you, (laughs) right? They don't care about that stuff. I want to talk in a language that is universal between salespeople and buyers and its outcomes and problems. What am I trying to accomplish? And then what gets in the way of me doing that? Right? So you need to think about those priorities listen back to sales calls, ask prospects. You should be doing asking this anyways in a sales call when you're doing discovery, you should be asking these questions. Hey, what goals do you have over the next three, six, nine months that are relevant to our conversation today? And I'm going to write that down word for word what these people share. And we're going to find patterns and what these people work on. So what I want to do is I want to gain permission. So this is the make an entrance part. The first part of the call, I want to gain permission and then I want to use a priority drop instead of an elevator pitch. That's like the first chunk of this. Now the middle chunk of the call, I call this syncing up. So you did a really great job at this before we started the podcast. You were asking me questions about where I grew up and all of this other stuff. And you had great follow-up questions to that, right? That's called a support response. So there's shift and support. So a support response is when someone shares something we have natural curiosity about wanting to get to know that person a little bit more. So when someone says they're from the Bay area, we say, are you a giants fan? Have you been up to Southern Oregon before? Have you ever taken, like that's showing genuine interest, right? A shift response, which is what I do. Most people do this throughout their entire day, both personal and professional context is we think about what that person said and how it applies to us. Mm. So if you said, Hey, I'm from the Bay area, I'd be like, Oh, well I'm from Oregon. And I actually like doing this and here's what I like to do for fun. And like, I think about what you say in how it relates to me versus being interested in you. So how does this relate to cold calling? When people say, yeah, yeah. If we use the example before, yeah, I'm working case and call deflection. Definitely. Well, you know what? I'm so glad I reached out to you because our solution does X, Y, Z. And I'd love to hear like you completely shift. You get this golden nugget from a prospect And and instead of being, oh, Tell me more about that. How is it affecting you guys right now? What initiative do you have? How are your reps getting better at case deflection? What plans do you have in place to get those three sources of documentation into one place so that you can drive down the cost to serve? Like I'm going to support those responses. So there's a really easy framework. I didn't come up with it. It's called Ted tell explain, describe, (laughs) Hey, tell me more about that. Oh, describe your process. Oh, explain to me, how does that work when a customer goes to Salesforce and they can't find what they're looking for? Do they submit a support ticket? Do they call you guys? How does that typically work? So that's what I'm going to do in the middle part. My job is to sync up with you. And I do that by supporting what you're saying, instead of shifting what you're saying, mm-hmm. and what really helps is for me to have a really good idea of what the common problems are. So in the case of case and call deflection. Where I really am going to try to figure out is I'm going to try to figure out how you're supporting your customers right now. So I might say something like, and this is, I'm trying to find your current solution, like how you're getting the job done right now. Hey, correct me if I'm wrong here, Ryan, but according to my research, it looks like you're using a lot of PDFs and long documentation on the knowledge base as a way to support your customers and help them get their answers. Did I get that right? or Are you guys doing something else? Right. And people may be like, yeah, we are using PDFs. Well, one of the problems I know with PDFs is that, I mean, have you ever tried searching through a PDF, Ryan? it's not very intuitive. You do command F and you like, yeah. look for key, like, that's not a very intuitive way to search for stuff. Right. Imagine if Google worked like that Yeah. to Ooh. find stuff you were looking for on the web, you just had to like put a keyword in and it would just show you, er- it didn't like pick relevant stuff. I think that you might like, you know what I mean? Yeah. Well, this is the same way that companies provide support to their customers. They give you a freaking PDF and you got to hunt through all the answers and it's organized well, but that's not an efficient way to find an answer. So I might say something like, and this is called question stacking. So question stacking is instead of saying, Hey, what's your biggest problem? It's me suggesting something that I hear from other people like you, and then asking you if you run into that, that demonstrates business acumen. That's what I need to be a peer and a trusted advisor is I need to demonstrate business acumen. So I might say something like, you know, Ryan, you might totally have this handled with your team, but I'm curious. Oftentimes what we hear with PDFs is that customers aren't able to search and access specific information Mm. and it just leads to long resolution times. And sometimes that leads to churn. Again, you might have this already figured out, but if someone can't find what they're looking for in those PDFs, what happens next? What do they usually do? And I've just demonstrated that I understand your world. I also did something else. That's really important. You notice how I was really non accusatory. Yeah. I didn't pretend like I know you. I don't know if you have that problem. And you know what? If I even if I did, Ryan, you know what is really hard to do is to get people to admit they have a problem, especially a complete stranger. There's inherent shame in having weakness, right? If I'm a hotshot VP or C-level type person, I have my shit together. At least I want people to think that I have my shit together. Oh, yeah. You oh, know. Yeah. So I'm going to insert language like that. These are called unsure tones. Uh, a guy, Will Allred, he. Co-founded a company called lavender. Hmm. It's an email assistant tool. And they also found this in cold emails, which is really interesting. These unsure tones saying things like, correct me if I'm wrong, I might be mistaken. Even if you see the thing that they're working on using that language that has a three to four times higher likelihood of a response, if you do it in an email. And I've noticed something very similar. I've always taught this with cold, cold calls where even if you're sure, you do not be assumptive about them having a problem? It just completely changes your tonality. I want to think about, I I go to therapy. I I think about how a therapist gets you to open up about stuff. That's really hard in your life. They build trust with you and they make it a very non-threatening, non-judgmental environment for you to be able to share stuff. Hmm. I want to do the same thing in that middle part of the cold call in the sync up part. I get a minute two, maybe three minutes to ask you two or three really focused questions. And I'm going to make sure I do that in a way that gets you talking. And I'm going to support what you say, because that's going to be the thing that I do to leverage booking a meeting with you, if it makes sense.
0: Okay. So I, I want to unpack a little bit further. How far down the path do you go to to demonstrate um, your business acumen? So you did something that was wonderful when you're talking to, like you called it the hotshot VP. Um, and by the way, I think that's a totally appropriate way to, to view VPs, because they all, I'm, I'm a badass hotshot V, you know, I got here for a reason. I do have my stuff together, yeah. right? So what, what you did was you start to talk, go down the path to demonstrate business acumen, not just by showing the problem, but also potentially some of the metrics that their problems might be attached to. How far down the yeah. path do you want to mm-hmm. go before you pause to do your check in thing like you did? Am, am I off? Am I way off here? Or am I close? Now, how far down the path do you want to go before you check in?
1: Well, each question I ask, I'm going to check in like that. Okay. Yeah. So anytime I ask a question, oh, I I misunderstood what you're saying. I think what you're asking, correct me if I'm wrong, is how many questions might I go down the path of in this middle part of the call before like we transition into something else. Yes. That's not a disco call. I'm not going to spend 30 minutes talking to this person. You don't want to peel this
0: dude's onion too much. Right. I mean, it's like, ah, well, (laughs) like let let me, let let me alone a little
1: bit. Yeah. That's what you could say to someone that's asking too many questions. Dude, you're peeling my onion too much here, dude. Back off. Okay. Um, so I want to get two, three, maybe three questions in. Okay. And then I want to I hate using the word intuition because it sounds woo woo, but I think you kind of get that feeling when a conversation's about to go on for too long,
0: mm.
1: whatever those cues are that you normally pick up on in a conversation. I want to end the conversation on my terms as a sales rep. So that's the three part framework. It's make an entrance, the sync up part that we talked about and then say goodbye. It's the ultimate power move for you as a rep to be the one that says goodbye. Okay.
0: Okay? So yeah, we got to go there, dude. Let's, let's go to this goodbye part because that's, that's like almost counterintuitive to most sales reps. They don't want to be, it's like when you're in a hug, you don't want to be the first one to stop hugging. Right. Yeah. But, but you also don't want to be the last one. So, you know, help help us understand this.
1: So I want to be the person that leaves a party before it starts to die down. I'm going to leave it at its peak. Okay. So I'm going to leave the conversation at its peak. So when I get some good little tidbits from you, let's just role play this part. Here's what I'm going to do. Um, I'm going to summarize what you said. Okay. So like, Hey Ryan, um, dude, everything you've shared has been really great. Like I said, I keep it short and I want to be conscious of your time. What I heard from you. Feel free to correct me if I'm wrong is that you're using a lot of PDFs and a big focus for you right now is more case and call deflection. And you're not able to do that because. You have these PDFs, you have the Salesforce instance and customers are just having to go to too many places to get answers right now. And you're worried about how that's going to affect your cost to serve. Did I miss anything or did I get that right?
0: No, I think that's, that's right. I mean, there, there might be some other things, but that's the the meat of the
1: issue. Okay, great. Well, these are all things. (laughs) I don't know if this makes you feel better. I hear from almost every software company that we talk to that's about your guys' size companies like, you know, XYZ and you know, XYZ. Can I make a quick suggestion? Yeah, uh, would it hurt to unpack this a little further when I'm not, you know, cold calling you in the middle of your day? I mean, I'd love to share how some of these companies are solving some of those problems. Do you have, do you have your calendar handy? Yeah,
0: pa- no. So pausing right there. So okay. Oh, you go straight Jay-B, into it. Yeah. JB, hold on a second. That was brilliant. Okay, so so pausing here. What you did was you gave me an out to reschedule. But if I'm really really interested, um, if I'm a you know, hotshot VP and I have, you're talking my talk that also gives me the ability to say, no, I want to talk now, which totally transfers the power back to you as the cold caller. I mean, that was, that yeah. was a genius. That was a brilliant approach to the, to the situation.
1: Yeah. So anytime I want to transition, cause this always feels awkward for reps is how do I transition into asking for the meeting? Yeah. Don't just ask for the meeting right away. just summarize back what you heard. You know how good it feels when you talk you say something and then someone repeats back what you said, but in their own words just yeah, to you show can... you that they understood and you feel understood. You know, yeah. good. That feels, that's that feels connection. so good. That's connection. You know, that's what you're going to do. I'm just going to quickly summarize what I heard, restate it back and just get agreement on that. And then from there, I'm like, they're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. This is exactly what I said. Or they'll correct you and add something. And then I'm just going to sh- that's how I'm, g- I'm going to use that as the way to shift into asking for the meeting. And it's really, can I make a suggestion? You're not really asking for the meeting. You I'm being straight up, yeah. about the meeting. Yeah. So if, 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 if there's a fit there, I'm going to be pretty assumptive.
0: Yeah, it was, it, and it was, but it was um, in alignment with the rest of the conversation where you weren't putting them into a, you know, a black and white situation. It was, it was really placing it on them, making it a, an easy place for them to say, yeah, you know, the direction they wanted to go. Um, yeah. I love that. So, You know, we've talked a lot about um, the tactical parts of, of what to do, which is exactly what this show needs, right? We need this kind of tactical level of what to do. I want to, I want to back up a little bit and talk about goals. Uh, You talked about framing and reframing um, uh, catastrophe versus the reality of the situation, right? Framing is wonderful. I want to talk about framing of success. Part of the dread, I think, and, and the concern that some people may have with may have with cold calling uh, is uh, numbers, right? My metrics. Uh, if I find 1.48 percent success rate, <laughs> uh, that means I have to do a grundle. I have to do one of one of two things, possibly. I have to do a ton of calling, or I have to get better at it, or maybe a combination of the two things. And what if I don't get it, and then the catastrophe happens? how should we as cold callers, how should people reframe what success actually looks like based on what we've talked about already? How should they reframe what success means in cold calling?
1: Yeah. I'm always going to frame any kind of success. Like with my business, you know, I, me as success and failure is not about how much money that I'm making. It's, Mm. it's more like yeah, I want to make good money and do all of that kind of stuff, right? And I want to build my audience, and but that's not—I don't get my self-esteem is not based on that. Mm. You know what I mean? So I think you need to think about what you put your self-esteem into and what makes you feel good and bad about yourself. To me, I've always been a very—and maybe I learned this through sports—that if I put in the work and the activity, I feel good about that at the end of the day. That doesn't mean that I'm not focused on driving the result. But sales is a roller coaster. Running a business is a roller coaster too. And it's funny because I don't think people realize when you run a business. I mean, you realize that like if I don't make sales, I there is no business, and I don't make money. That's that's worse than a full commission job, a sales job, even. You know what I mean? Because <laughs> you could always get another job. So um, there's a lot of pressure there. And for me, my self esteem again is not tied into the results, it's more tied around stuff I can control. So for me, reframing around cold calling, if we're talking about that is around the activity of doing it. Um, I'm going to feel good knowing that I'm doing the activity. I'm making a commitment to do it. And then I'm actually doing it right. This is how you build confidence too. So I'm making a commitment. I'm following through with that commitment. And then I'm making a commitment to level up my skills. I'm making a commitment to tactically get better at what I'm doing and you know what you don't need to pay for programs and courses like I have we have free podcasts like this one that you can listen to to get better at this stuff so not having a budget or money to spend on your own personal development is no longer a valid excuse we could have used that excuse when I was getting started you know 15 years ago there wasn't really a lot of great b2b content on how to do this no. I would venture to say five or six years ago a lot more people are talking about it now so that's that's how I reframe it. And then I want to think about, there's a couple metrics that I want to really uh, stay on top of. One is obviously the total number of calls that I'm making my pickup rate, because there's certain little things that you can do to increase your pickup rate. And then I want to be really conscious of the number of connects to booked meetings. So Gong stat doesn't like what it doesn't like, if we go into that stat a little deeper, the 1.48%, I mean, that's, that's including pickups and not, and and not, that's just number of attempts. Yes. So the typical pickup rate might be around somewhere between five and 10%, depending on your industry. So if you do the math on that, so 1.4, let's divide that by 10. Yeah. That means the typical person's probably going to have a 10 or 15 percent conversion rate of a connected call into a meeting. And honestly, it's actually lower than that. The companies that I work with, oftentimes it's around three to 5%. That's still low. I work with reps and we get them up to 30, 40%. In some cases, they've got their ICP nailed. They really know the language. They're very confident and they're very skilled on the phone. A world-class is 30 to 40%. It's it's, a, it's a kind of like a batting average. Um, so I want to commit to the craft. You need to treat cold calling. You need to treat sales. You need to treat it like a profession. This is not a job. You just go in and just do the job. There's a skill component to this. You have to dedicate yourself to the craft. It should be unacceptable for you to make calls and to not get better at them because you can control the skill of getting better at the call. You actually have a lot of control over that. You don't have as much control over the outcome of that, but the skill around being confident, doing a good opener. I hear people all the time that just suck at their openers and they, Hey, uh, Ryan, this is uh, Jason and I was uh, that's unacceptable, dude. You can practice this and get better at that part. You can nail your permission-based opener priority drops. If you practice practice in the mirror with yourself, find someone, a coworker to practice it with. It is absolutely unacceptable for you not to level up your craft around the stuff that you can control the practice components of that you got to expect more from yourself. If you want to be a world-class seller, you have to put in world-class effort. It doesn't mean working 80 hours a week, by the way. It's just being smart with the time that you put into this and spend 15, 30 minutes a day practicing this stuff. Like commit, dude. I just hear too many excuses from people that don't commit to it. And it's like, oh yeah, I suck at this. Well, how much time have you spent practicing it? How many podcasts have you listened to? How many courses have you bought? Are you paying for coaching if you can afford it? Are you, are you looking at free LinkedIn? There's so much, like I put out so much free content on this stuff. There's just absolutely no excuse. So I'm a little hardcore in that area. I have zero tolerance for, for that type of thing.
0: I couldn't you know? tell, couldn't tell at all. Uh, so, <laughs> so, so, so uh, a couple things here. So I didn't hear you one, one time, not once. Did you mention motivation? You mentioned over and over commitment. And the yeah. problem is a lot of, a lot of people they'll, they'll rely, Oh, I'm not motivated. I'm not motivated. And then they just stop. It's not about yeah. the motivation. When your motivation fails, you have yeah. to rely on your commitment. And I loved yeah. what you just said there, man, that was, that was powerful. And I love that. I hope our listeners take that to heart for yeah. me. That was, that impacted me heavily. Thank you for that.
1: Yeah. yeah. It's like, I don't give a shit about your motivation, dude. I do stuff all the time that I'm not motivated to do. Kobe Bryant said, uh, You know, discipline takes over when motivation runs low. That's it. Yeah. I was like, dude, money, right? That totally nailed it. The way that top performers think or anyone that is elite and world-class is they don't let their feelings dictate their actions. They let their actions dictate their feelings. So you use the same excuse for working out. I don't feel like working out. Well, you know what? Most people that are in really good shape don't feel like working out all the time. You just do it. Like, don't play these games with yourself. You know, another, whether you like him or not, Kobe Bryant, uh, one thing he talked about too, is people would ask him that, how do you stay so committed to the, like to the game and the practice and stuff? And he said, well, the workout I was going to do today, I already committed to doing like, it's already been decided. I already decided that I was going to do this like last week or months ago. Well, I don't need to debate it with my, like, I already committed to this. It's already been decided, you know, and you just need to be that person that you need to just your, my snowboarding instructor calls it your brain squish, which I think is really funny. Brain, squish. Um, <laughs> your brain squish, Okay. don't negotiate with yourself. And that's a skill though. You can practice not negotiating with yourself and just doing the activity anyways, and just getting your body to do something that your mind doesn't want to do in that moment. And you always feel better after you do it, you know? Mm. So commitment, make a freaking commitment. You've got to commit to the craft, commit to the craft. So I, I love
0: that. And I love the passion that you're bringing to this conversation. What, you know, maybe the final question here, you know, we've, you've given the listeners wonderful instructions, fantastic, tactical, usable right now. Like you said, don't need to pay for it, content on what to do. Love it. What's the impact? Like, give me your, your, your final thoughts here. What is the impact of committing to to building out and honing your craft? What's the impact here?
1: Yeah, the impact I think is like, you want to talk motivation. What motivates me is being able to look at my, my business in this case and be able to look at the incremental day-to-day improvements that I make in the business. The whole 1% better thing. I just, I couldn't think of a better way to explain that, you know, so. For me, the motivation comes from the stacking of doing things that you committed to doing. Like you want to talk about motivation, you do and make a commitment let's say it's cold calling. You make a commitment to do that every business day for an entire month. And you know what? You're going to be pretty motivated to not break that chain, <laughs> you know? So for me, that's really big is that it just applies to so many other places in your life when you have this skill of. I do things that I don't want to do, but that I should do. I'm really good at doing those kind of things. You know, I think that's a big thing. And then the other thing is just the compound effect of this, the compound effect of you prospecting. If you do full cycle sales, like if you're an account executive or whoever that's selling and prospecting, the compound effect of you doing this an hour a day is just insane. It's not just the the meetings that you land, it's the deals that you book because of that. And then the referrals that you get, and then the repeat business, you get like the compound effect of outbound is huge. You're missing out on that compound effect. Cause in the, in the, in a graph, that compound effect is not at the beginning of the graph, it happens at the end. It's like compound interest. You know what I mean? So prospecting, it's like putting money into your Roth IRA. If you haven't started doing that yet, you need to start doing it. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like you need to start putting this away so that you can get the compound effect over this. The other thing too, is the better you get at something, the less work it requires for you to get the result. How cool is that? You know what I mean? Just like shooting three pointers in basketball. If I shoot 50%, 40% from three point land, like a Steph Curry or whoever, I don't have to shoot as many shots to score the points that I need to help my team win. That's kind of cool. You know, where I don't have to put so much effort into this. So you're missing out on a tangible skill that will help you sell better too. Just the discipline of showing up and doing this on a daily basis and treating it like a craft. I mean, your your livelihood depends on that. Like if you support a family or you help support your family and you have kids, I mean, shit, what's more powerful than that? You know what I mean? You making a decision to prospect every day today could be the difference. If you have young kids, you being able to help them pay for college or not. I mean, that's like literally the difference it could make, you know, so the impact's huge.
0: Jay babe, brother, man, this has been fun, valuable, helpful. uh, And for me personally, impactful. Thank you for being on the show. Thank you for sharing your insights and tactics on how to get better at cold calling, man. Thank you.
1: Yeah, absolutely. This was a blast. Um, we got a podcast too. check out blissful prospecting podcast. And, uh, we talk all about prospecting there and, uh, we got a website, blissfulprospecting.com too. So if you are looking for more free resources or you're a rep or a sales leader and you want some help, we have all that kind of stuff there too. But, uh, like I said, there's just no excuse. There's so much great free information, you know, out there. And I, I like to think I have some of the better stuff when it comes to outbound, especially, so yeah, make sure to check it out blissfulprospecting.com.
0: Just like JB said, for more on blissful prospecting and primary intelligence, check out the show notes at www.primary-intel.com forward slash podcast. And don't forget to subscribe so you never miss an episode. We'll see you next time.